You're listening to the ESP, the European Skeptics Podcast, an independent weekly show in support of European-level actions within the skeptical movement. The ESP is run by individuals representing different skeptical groups from across the continent. This is episode 157. I'm your host, Andras Pinter, and joining me for the show are my co-hosts, Jelan Lavin and Pontus Böckmann. Sziasztok! Всем привет! Hey, son, hey, son! Hey! Oh! <coughs> Oh, sorry. Uh, bless you, my child. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> let's let's all pray. Oh, it goes very well with what I saw earlier on on the screen. Because yeah. I understand the Pope is with us as well. Yeah, he is always with us. <laughs> Shaking his funny head. Yeah. <laughs> shake it at us. Yeah. Hmm? <laughs> See you, baby. Shake it. Shake it. <laughs> okay, guys. All right. So, how are we doing? Is everything okay? Everything. Everyone's okay. Yeah. I think so. Um, there was um, by the sounds of it, fun, uh, fun outing last night, which I couldn't join into. Uh, between some of the skeptics in London and. Our friend uh, from Ratio. Yeah. Uh, Lubo. Um, Lubo. Yeah, yeah, I saw that on Facebook. Chris French and a couple of other people were all in the pub last night, but um, unfortunately I was otherwise engaged. Was it in the. Uh, so it, it was somewhere in Greenwich? It was in London, in, in city centre. Oh, okay. yeah. wow, cool. So there was really cool. like an impromptu meeting of skeptics. Hmm. And I, I'd imagine drinking. Saturday night? No, no, I wouldn't. No, 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 no. no, no. We That's, never drink. No. In, in London, Skeptical there's no of drinking. drinking whatsoever on Saturday <laughs> nights. And we haven't seen those guys drink anyway. So. No, no. Good. <laughs> oh, it's good to see skeptics co uh, come together. I have a tip for you in the UK. Jelena? Go on. Uh, Susan Gerbic and Mark Edward is coming to the UK in April. Oh, yeah. All oh, right. What's, is there going to be a conference or something? They, they are... Oh, I, now I forgot to look it up. But they are here for one purpose, but they're going to stay a little bit longer. And I think they are willing to take up any skeptics to for, on any invitations to do talks or, or whatnot so anybody who wants to in in the uk who wants to get in contact with them can either contact them directly or via us if you don't know how to reach them we will yeah we will yeah. forward your your invitation that brings about memories uh, very nice memories about the about time tour that we did yeah last year with uh, with uh, susan edward and indeed lubo baburov exactly it was a really cool one but it it was around central europe it was quite a trip but um and susan extended it mm. even longer yeah. because uh, she went on and and even earlier she she started out somewhere around your your oh area, yeah yeah Pontus. she she did she did start actually i believe in norway and then went to stockholm and then she came here down to south of sweden where i am yeah and and then she continued to poland i believe which i know she was in poland but was that the first? Yeah, I think that was the next stop. And, and then I don't know. I lost track. But she ended up in Italy and eventually in Hungary as well with you. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. 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 That's, that's correct. Yeah. We drove through a lot of countries. 
Yeah. But uh, I enjoyed it immensely, and uh, and and it was really cool. So I do recommend everyone uh, to consider having them as uh, speakers and guests because they are lovely people, both of them, both Susan and Mark. Uh, they're amazing minds, and they have a lot to talk about. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I I think no one will regret having them as guests. So. Do you have them? <laughs> Do you have them? Well, you can, because they're, they're going to be in the UK for a short while. Yeah, yeah. So. so even if it will maybe uh, end up with a hangover. <laughs> uh, and we talked about hangovers in the in the New Year's episode, or the one after New Year's, yeah, yeah. about different hangover cures, etc. And I'm sad to say that uh, one of the few people who has actually invented a cure for hangover Dr. Stuart Adams. He died recently. I think it was on the 31st of January. He was 95 years old. Uh, He invented ibuprofen. He famously tested it. He did scientific tests as well, but he also tested it on his own hangover before he was going to make an important speech. (laughs) So we know that that works, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think ibuprofen is one of the most frequently used painkillers. And especially in the UK, I, I have this experience that in the UK, if there is any kind of mild thing that you have, uh, they will either prescribe ibuprofen or um, paracetamol. Yes. And those are the two ones. <laughs> that's that's basically a, a cure-all kind yeah, of thing. Yeah, or actually both. Yeah. Yeah, or both. Anything else or should we get cracking? No, I think I think we should get on with the show because as always we have a lot mm-hmm. to talk about. So, if we're already, let's start with something that happened this week in skepticism and Yelena, would you mind enlightening us? Please. Okay, so this is a very specific date I want to talk about. Oh, you're dating. Nice. <laughs> the date uh, is the February the 10th, 1947. Hard to believe we're already in February. Oh, yeah. And um, there was a, a definitive proof that afterlife doesn't exist. I'm sorry, guys, but if you thought there, there is uh, another life... Ah, but that... can you prove a negative? That's the question. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, so, so somebody uh, set out to do so. Anyway, so th- and, this, and his name was Oliver Lodge. Uh, he was actually a very well-known British physicist and uh, writer. Uh, and uh, he was involved in development um, of a key patent for radio. Um, He also identified electromagnetic radiation, independent of Hertz, by the way. Oh, okay, really? Hertz proof. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, he demonstrated an early radio wave detector he named the Cohera. Uh, (laughs) It didn't catch on, though. (laughs) It it sounds sounds like some kind of an ancient (laughs) god or goddess. Um, so yes, and he was a principal of University of Birmingham from 1900 to 1920. He, he was a very well-known scientist at the time. Um, he received a lot of honors. He was knighted. And um, I can imagine he was quite um, curious because to be a scientist, you have to have that kind of sort of mindset. But something happened to him. He's, uh, he had several kids um, and one of his sons, youngest son, uh, went to the First World War and was killed um, in his early 20s, which was very tragic, but it was something that 
happened a lot back then <laughs> uh, during the first world war of course <laughs> as you can imagine yeah, it so, a funny yeah. way to put it but <laughs> so, sorry it's, it's uh, but it was of course tragic it's yes. terrible that we're laughing no, at no, that, it's, yeah, it, yeah. you know it's it, it, it was what it was it was uh, yeah. j- just like during the second world war you know it's it's, it's a it's terrible tragedy and he got involved in spiritualism but i think he was already kind of predisposed he used to go to seances and um um he used to uh, be part of the um Society for Psychical Research, and um, he was um, very determined to establish scientific proof that all these abilities and powers uh, are are real. So after his son died, I think he struggled to deal with the grief of that, and it, it's one of the worst things can can happen to a person to lose your own child. Um, and as he was going to see answers, uh, he started receiving so-called messages from his son from the afterlife. Um, to say that he was okay, he's living the life, um, describing the the reality where his son have been living. So much so that he actually ended up publishing um, a book called Raymond, uh, Life and Death. And Raymond was the name of his, um, his son. And in this book, he, he talks about the, this, all these so-called messages that he received from his son from, uh, from behind the grave, um, who talks about his comrades, uh, meeting his comrades there, uh, people who lost limbs apparently in the afterlife, grew those back again, uh, but they didn't do it by themselves. They had some helpers that were not quite doctors. And also you could get all the, the favorite things you liked on earth. So you could get a pipe and some whiskey. So there you go, guys, some uh, reassurance there for you. Um, very specific things. And uh, they were all conveyed to him via psychics um, and psychic readings, etc. Um, as well as the auto writing, you know, when you start writing and uh, putting your thoughts on paper subconsciously. So apparently some of the messages were coming through there as well. Mm-hmm. And um, he's written quite a few books about afterlife after all this. Obviously, it was a process for him. He um, really believed in, in this, that his son is communicating with him. And um, the fact that all these psychics kept it going and kept saying, yeah, we've got the messages, obviously kept him going as well. So it was like a bit of a 20, catch-22. Mm-hmm. Um but still still keeping his scientific mind, he wanted to prove, he, he believed it so fervently and, and, and so passionately that, that there is definitely life after death. And the science just needs to be real about, uh, you know, establishing it and, and, and yeah. properly um, uh, pr- providing proper evidence. So what he did, he, uh, before he died, he's... Um, written seven uh, seven clues, seven notes, and he put them in the envelope, one inside the other, and he left it for his fellows in the Society for uh, Psychical Research. And um, he told them to open the envelopes after his death. So yeah, so he created this, this post-mortal identity test to prove that he the life after death exists because he would have then come back as a dead person and given the uh, sign to the uh, psychic yeah. who would be reading these messages. So he le- left those envelopes. Did you say that the envelopes were put in one another? Yes, they, they were like a uh, Matryoshka doll. So there was uh, the message huh. was inside the message and inside the message that inside the message. So every time you'd open an envelope, it'll give you a clue, and then you open the next envelope, it'll give you another clue, and they all had ah, and okay. they all had to be open in consecutive order. Okay. 
And in, in fact, the, the society took the, his wishes very seriously because obviously they also believed in afterlife and they created a Oliver Lodge posthumous test committee <laughs> where some 130 sittings with various mediums were held. Wow. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah. And quite a few of those mediums and psychics were appointed by Lodge before his death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. However, as one can assume and imagine, it didn't produce desirable uh, results. So, as I said, um, those envelopes were sealed uh, one inside another, um, containing a clue the mediums could employ to jog the deceased uh, physicist's memory, should he forget his own secret. (laughs) Um, Instead, the clues merely irritated the mediums as they were reading them. Um, For example, I I found what was said in the content of envelope 3. It read, if I give a number of five digits, it may be correct, but I may say something about 2801, and that will mean I am on ascent. It is not the real number, but it has some connection with it. In fact, it is a factor of it. Hmm? End of quote. Eventually, the mediums walked off the set. <laughs> I would too. That was really <laughs> they, obscure. They, they were just <laughs> irritated by the whole process. And what happened on February 10th, 1947, the day that I started this um, uh, segment with, is that the final en- envelope with the test message was opened. No psychic had identified it. Therefore, the test did not lead to the evidence of survival that was hoped for. Oh, bugger. <laughs> and therefore, this concludes the failed scientific experiment to prove that uh, there is life after death. Yeah. Although it's still not conclusive, let's be honest. Of course honest. not. It, just, it only proves that somehow being dead prevented Oliver Lodge to come back and, 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 and tell <laughs> yeah. the mediums if, what had happened. Yeah. doesn't prove that anybody else can't yeah, do it. Yeah. Yeah. But if I'm not mistaken, he... Yeah, I, did, I did, don't think it even proved that. It proved... That this test. kind of protocol, this test was doesn't work. Yeah. Was not working, so it just failed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it failed. And and like, if I remember correctly, there were a few similar attempts in the past where people left messages and then mm-hmm. they they've asked mm-hmm. somebody who would be you know uh, executive of their wills will to 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 act up, up upon it. And uh, again, it didn't deliver. Yeah. yeah. However, there there are others who claim that there have been positive results in tests like these. So I've heard psychics uh, trying to sell their products or starting to sell their uh, services by quoting positive mm-hmm. tests about about these issues. Mm. And uh, so far, I have never been able to identify any of those positive tests mm. with a proper protocol. So obviously, there there are stories, there are anecdotes out there, but it's not what we are after, no. right? No, and and this is <laughs> you know to be fair on Oliver Lodge, he was trying to create something robust. Yeah, yeah, and it didn't it didn't work as a sci- as a scientist. A pretty a pretty, I mean, pretty good protocol, yeah. Even as a, as a scientist, a rigorous scientist, good scientist that he was, he still had a blind spot and. He his blind spot was due to his obvious grief and the fact that his mm-hmm. son died and some people took advantage of it of that yeah. so what, what i forgot to mention again is as well he knew a lot of the mediums as you probably gathered from this um the fact that he appointed some of them to 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 mm-hmm. carry on the protocol but uh, a lot of the mediums he worked with and um psychics he worked with were discredited as charlatans and liars and he, yet he still 
continued yeah, believing. And he knew that and he still went with it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. and it didn't yeah. matter. It didn't matter. So um, Well Yeah. Well think of think of the success of uh, Peter Popov, yes, yeah. the success yeah. of Uri Geller. Yeah. Uh, even though they have been proven Wrong, to be yeah. <coughs> cheaters and liars and and con artists, they still are very popular. Yeah. And there are a lot so of people. I can't, I can't yeah. blame him for not finding credible mediums. They are very hard to come by. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Have you guys seen Have you guys seen a Magic in the Moonlight? No. No, I do recommend that to both of you and to everyone listening to this. It's a film. Yeah, it's a it's a romantic comedy, but it has a very important skeptical touch to it. All right, so I really like it. I really no I, spoilers. I really the... Look it up, people. No spoilers. Just look it up, watch it, and I believe I'm not a hundred percent sure, but I believe that it's a movie. By uh, is it a Woody Allen movie? Woody Allen, Woody Allen, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I recognise that. I haven't seen it, but I heard about it. Yeah. yeah. Mm. All right. Okay. So, anything else, Yelena, about this? No, that's it. Thank you very much. I think I think it's a fascinating story, <laughs> and uh, that means that we are moving on to our next segment, the long-awaited and always-awaited moment when Pontus pokes the Pope. Yes, about the Pope and the Catholic Church. I think it will be the least shocking news you've ever heard from the Vatican. But this is about a priest who helped manage cases of sexual abuse. He has quit his job two months after being, uh, after doing, starting that because he was being accused of committing sexual abuse. Oh, (laughs) Oh, what an irony. It's almost getting tired to to do to talk talk about this but you, i think we should need to do it because it's happening so much his name was herman herman probably herman geisler and he was a, a chief of staff for the congregation of the doctrine of the faith also known as inquisition inquisition yeah exactly uh. yeah yeah or used to be called but that that is the roman inquisition the roman uh, or papal inquisition yeah uh, but they, uh, he was dealing with punishment for abusive priests. But uh, last year, a former nun called Doris Wagner accused him of soliciting sex from him while in the confessional booth. <gasps> uh, I always wondered what was going on in those booths. You know, it's 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 dark, it's cozy, nobody can see what's Nasty going on. Stuff. Uh, yeah. Do you? I, maybe my imagination is running wild here. But do you know what a glory hole is? Yes. Uh, yeah i do yeah okay this is uh, sensitive listeners beware but this is uh, a practice uh, mostly i believe or pretty convinced mostly among male people who want to exchange sexual uh, services you go into a public uh, stall what do you call that a laboratory toilet. toilet yeah and you have these very thin walls between the different stalls and you make a little hole in the walls and you stick whatever you want to stick through that hole and the guy on the other hand on the other side who does that well i i'm just re- do that. you know i'm Andres. i'm not talking from today, personal today on the sex education program we talk about glory holes <laughs> glory holes yeah so you help each other out uh, hopefully the the second guy <laughs> returns the favor i don't know how often it happens that the first one skips but i it, never mind it's it's a long story but i was sort of in my uh, deranged uh, uh, fantasy. I was thinking about the, uh, you know, there's a wall between the priest and the confess 
sir. You put a glory hole between them and uh, off you go. Um, she says, going back to leave my naughty fantasies alone. Uh, Doris Wagner says he would keep me there kneeling in front of him for hours and he would tell me how much he liked me and that he knew that he liked that I liked him. And even though we couldn't marry, there would be other ways. That's what she tells. And then she went to a female female superior to, you know, to report this. And uh, she said something like, and this is her quote, she didn't put it down, but roughly what the superior said was, you know, I knew father had a certain weakness for women, so we kind of have to put up with this. Bullshit. Just kind of put up with his sexual well, abuse. Do the not. fuck? Sister, you do not have No, to. but you know, Father, what, what's his name? Hermann Geisler. You know, F- Father Hermann Geisler. He, he has a thing for women, so we just have to put up with it. Fuck off. Fucking stupid. <laughs> uh, yeah. How the times have yeah. changed, yeah. eh? It, it's really... Uh, well, this is now. This is not long ago. So that was not directly about Pope Francis, but Pope Francis was quoted uh, last week when he was in Panama, when he got a question of celibacy, if he was, you know, prepared to, to change the rule for celibacy. Francis replied by quoting Paul VI, uh, who was the Pope in, what was, it, was it the 60s or 50s? The 60s, yeah. 60s, yeah. And Paul VI said, I'd rather give my life before changing the law on celibacy. Yeah. So uh, I guess uh, what uh, Francis is saying is that we will have to uh, keep up with some hanky panky in the in the <laughs> confessional booths for now, and uh, you know because he's not going to do anything about it. And priests and nuns uh, they will not stay celibate very often or very long. It is not to be, in my opinion, very natural to do so. And uh, uh, it it drives them crazy and they do stupid and deplorable things because they cannot get their uh, natural desires satisfied. So, yeah, yeah, Francis won't do anything about this. Yeah. It's it's such a disappointment to me. Yeah. Because I I did believe very strongly that if someone will address this question of celibacy... It will be Francis. Yeah. Because uh, you you could have never expected anything like that from the previous Pope, Pope Benedict, Benedict XVI. No. Because he was he was such a bigot. He he was terrible in that regard. But as well. Yeah. <laughs> as, as in many other regards. But uh but yeah. Uh I I had very high hopes that uh, Pope Francis will be sensible enough to make that change but yeah i understand but it's not only up to him and there were times when he really seemed like the guy who's considering to pushing for it yeah but uh nope not anymore and that's partly why we have this segment in my opinion uh, we tend to forget that even the new pope or he's not so new anymore uh, pope francis is still a pope and he believes in a lot of uh, stupid things i'm looking here in the oh the the click to pray i'm looking here at the click to pray app and what he is advocating at the moment is that uh, make use often of this powerful instrument which is the prayer of the holy rosary that it may bring peace to our your heart to our your family to the church and to the world 
Wait a minute. Hmm? Can you suggest a topic to pray for? I can. So, why don't you suggest that I pray for Pope Francis yeah. to change the laws on celibacy? Oh, I need to sign up. So I, I will do it later on. I, I'm, I'm just, uh, I'm just looking at the moment. But uh, I, so what I can do, if you don't sign up, you can only click to pray. But to suggest other things, you have to sign up. I, I will do that. I, we'll see. Yeah, I'm, I'm considering doing it myself. That I'll download this app and and then try to suggest things and see how many people pray. It'll for be it. interesting though to see if they moderate anything. If if you if you come with yeah. suggestions that are not what they like, maybe you get uh, what like pray for big boobs or something like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't. No. I mean, well, like not, if, let's not, say, if you're a flash, not for myself anyway. No, but it's a good idea. If you're a flat-chested girl and, and you you yeah. you want a little bit of a boost in self-esteem, you want to pray for big boobs. Yeah, let's yeah. do that, yeah. and and uh, we'll see if we get banned <laughs> by the Pope. That would be fun. Wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah, and there are other things that can come up that are not necessarily acceptable like uh wishing the death of someone or something like that oh don't do that i mean i, I we should keep it rather no no, no i wouldn't no. it's just uh yeah okay thanks very much for poking the pope once again <laughs> pontus mm-hmm. and uh that means that we are ready to move on to discussing a couple of news items And let's start in Germany, where we earlier reported that uh, Nathalie Grams was nominated for an award that is the Die Goldenen Blogger uh, Award. I understand that it it means the Golden Blogger. (laughs) Very good. It's for uh, different people uh, on social media uh, having a very good influence on people or uh, a very serious influence on people. And uh, there are lots of different categories. And on the 28th of January, uh, the award ceremony, a gala, took place in Berlin at the Telefonica base camp. Now, we know that Nathalie Grams was nominated in the category of the best Twitter account of the year. And she won. So, that was a poll. So there were the nominees and uh, they polled the audiences so they could, the public decided who wins this. And apparently, I don't know if it's due to the skeptical movement being very active and and boosting up the actual vote, but Natalie Grams won with 47.12% Good. of the votes. Well deserved. Exactly. And she was so lovely about it when, when she she thanked the followers and the the voters. And we have to thank her for doing an amazing job in educating the public about homeopathy and why it's basically quackery. Um, and they have often refer to them as uh, globuli, um, those, those globules that the homeopathic medicinal product... Uh, sorry, I don't want to call them medicinal products. So homeopathic products, <laughs> hmm. they come in these small granules. So this is why um, you can often read in German media about globuli. And uh, those are those uh, 
uh, granules that we they talk about hmm. and uh, even uh, was which is um, a german news outlet uh, dedicated a whole article uh, not a very long one but uh, uh, they they p- posted um, a very nice interview as well uh, with uh, natalie graham so natalie if you listen to this you're probably too busy to do that but uh, <laughs> if you listen to this we congratulate you from here uh well done and keep up the fantastic work that you do yeah Great. Congratulations. And there are more good news from uh, Germany, believe it or not. Mm-hmm, okay. There is a, a group an, or an inter- or it's uh, international but mostly German, it's an internet project. It was founded in 2007 and they, it's called Cyram. Mm. It's P S I R A M. I don't know exactly what what it stands for, but uh, it's it's a blogger community, if you will. Uh, they have a wiki as well called the Cyram, of course. And the wiki uh, uh, describes the largest uh, German compilation of cranks and bullshitters over uh, over three thousand uh, articles. It, it's about quackery. Uh, conspiracy theories, uh, pseudoscience, and, and and other things. They do have uh, they do have articles also in English, uh, French, in Italian, and even some in Polish and Dutch. And they have now uh, started a, a series of skeptical articles about uh, well, skeptical things. So they so far they have done the Dunning Kruger effect, which is the effect where you mm-hmm. where you know basically if the less you know about something, the more you o- tend to overestimate how difficult it can be and how much you you can be an expert on that. Isn't that called being a teenager? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> being a teenager is the is the <laughs> typical Dunning Kruger effect. You think you're a grown up, but you have no clue. So it's a good analogy. Yeah, good. Uh, they've talked about pareidolia in one uh, blog post, which is where you see patterns, or we tend to see patterns where no pattern really exists. Mm. <laughs> it could be auditory it could be visual it could be in ideas all kinds mm-hmm. of stuff they've talked about the idiomotor effect where you believe that your dowsing rod or uh, is moving by itself but it's actually you yourself that you you make this little movement unconsciously yeah. it could be done also when we talked last yeah. week about uh, facilitated facilitated communication it could be part of that as well mm. and now the latest one part four is about confirmation bias how you tend to notice what confirms your preconceived notions rather than than contradicts them and it, you take it as a confirmation of what you already knew so it's a good thing uh, you should look it up we will include the the link in the show notes uh, it's blog.siram.com and you will find it and they also their wiki mm. right. all right good skeptics yeah they are Ooh, uh, something very exciting is going to happen very soon um, so something that Ma- um, mercy side skeptic society has announced on their website recently and it is their 10th birthday happy birthday mercy skeptic society um, <laughs> and they are going to celebrate it on the 6th of july mm-hmm. which is saturday in 2019 the tickets are on sale for their birthday celebration and it'll be a day of talks, very interesting talks, um, and then the night of music, magic, comedy and dancing. Yeah, Yay. yeah. Wow. It's just, um, yeah, and it's just £29, I believe. 
29 pounds yes yeah. uh, for the full day and uh, yes they also offer uh, uh, promotion rates for those people who want to come to Liverpool it's all going to be happening in Liverpool and stay in the hotel for the night and uh, some of the people who will be speaking there we know about Professor Chris French mm-hmm. uh, Alice Howarth she is Dr. Alice who, who is a PhD cancer and HIV researcher Emma McClure she was one of the speakers at the QD she was conference one time she's a lawyer yes. a human rights lawyer she, she gave a great talk Simon Singh of course uh, because he's done a lot of good work for good thinking well, society for, for, for good things good thinking society and other things as well so he contributed to various campaigns it seems like it's going to be pretty exciting thing yeah mm-hmm. um so if you can uh be there be there yeah okay Oof. and the day starts at nine o'clock in the morning wow they're not wasting any time mm. is it a saturday yeah saturday morning bright and early bright and early uh i'm assuming there'll be a um, pre-party party on a friday night uh, i hope so i hope so yeah <laughs> yeah oh are you gonna be there Pontus? I really would want to i don't think so but i would really if i can i will yeah me too if I can, I will, but I maybe not. But it would, it's very, especially since there's no QED this year. Yeah. This would be a sort of, they, they're very clear saying this is not a mini QED, but it is. <laughs> it is a yeah, little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah so yeah. I, I would want to, to yeah. go there, but uh, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. It seems to be something that people should really look forward to. All right. So I just, just had a revelation. Ooh. Ooh. Click to pray. When we we repeat the word skeptics and occasionally there is a slip of the tongue and and we say skeptics or something, (laughs) I realize that skeptics are what you poke the Pope with. (laughs) Very good. Very good. From now on. Yes. (laughs) You're going to use the skeptics. Skeptics. Yes. To poke the Pope. Yeah. Silly me. <laughs> okay. I'm going to bring that in mood. Oh, no. Because grab something. What, like a tissue yeah. to cry? Yeah. Grab a handle because homeopathy has been proven to work. Oh, no. Really? Well, that's Fantastic. Good. I mean, I, 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 that's a good news. If it really works. Okay. I was kidding. Oh, oh, oh. fuck. <laughs> Don't get our hopes up. But there is a recently published paper on uh, respiratory medicine. Well, they tried to assess uh, the effectiveness of homeopathic medication on upper respiratory tract infections, specifically in COPD patients. COPD is um, a chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. It's a lung disease when some kind of an obstruction causes the airflow to suffer uh, in the lungs. So it's a very serious kind of um, illness and condition. However... There was a study, and apparently homeopaths tend to quote this study now mm-hmm. as a very good proof that homeopathy works. It was done in Cantabria, Spain, and, um, well, there are a couple of problems. Yeah, I, I so, thought we didn't do uh, uh, pseudoscience in Spain anymore, didn't? wasn't that last week's news? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Um, unfortunately, apparently, there is some going on. Someone got didn't got the memo. No. So they, they worked with 219 patients. Uh, they d- divided into two groups. One of them got the conventional treatment plus the homeopathic medication, and the other one got only the conventional treatment. The problems 
emerge when we further analyze the study. And you don't even have to go into the statistical analysis. Um, fortunately, this uh, respiratory medicine journal allows this paper to be available free of charge in full. This is how you can find out very easily that among the problems with the study, uh, one is that it has not been randomized at all. So there was not, a, not no random selection. And how they try to come up with rationalization of that is that, and I quote, in the study population, in the materials and methods segment uh, section, uh, they say, in order to be respectful of the real medical practice, the addition of the homeopathic medication to their treatment was not randomized. But there is another problem, that it was not placebo-controlled at all, it was not randomized, and it was definitely not a blinded study. Ah. So what you want to use in order to find out if homeopathy works, you need to conduct placebo-controlled double-blind studies, right? Uh, which this study is is just not. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, it becomes even uh, more interesting than this, because um, as usual in this study, uh, towards the end, there are certain declarations, uh, obviously about the ethical uh, side of the study as well, the authors, and there is a section called conflict of interest, just as in other studies as well, if there are some. And one of the authors has received speakers' fees from Boiron Laboratories. Ah. So, and Boiron is the big manufacturer of homeopathic uh, pills. And yes. Stuff. And the next segment in this section is funding. The work was supported by Boiron Laboratories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So basically hmm. what we can say with all this this study should just go into the trash bin because it does it's not worth anything it doesn't prove anything and yet now it's yet another example of how homeopaths will use it to demonstrate that homeopathy does work nope it doesn't i'm afraid so you're wrong guys <gasps> that could have been a really mm. wrong Oh, that could have been really wrong. Uh, so this uh, have been all the news items that we had. So why don't we move on to the next segment, which is a really wrong presented by Pontus. All right, this time we're going to revisit a story that we have talked about for years, to be honest. But there's a new development. Paolo Macchiarini was an Italian researcher who got uh, a tenure uh, at Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, which is a research, very famous uh, place and very prestigious place. Uh, unfortunately, uh, Macchiarini falsified a lot of his research and he got, well, he made experimental surgery or did experimental surgery on patients with, really without getting, having everything 
sort it out. And it uh, turned out that he hadn't done his research and uh, all of the patients died and uh, they suffered very much. The, the surgery was about replacing the trachea with a plastic one and the idea was to coat it with the stem cells and that would hypothetically then, or the idea was that that would make sure that it was accepted by the body and not rejected. Didn't work. They died. And uh, he was uh, discharged and he lost a lot of things. He's, but he still hasn't been criminally charged, which is uh, a scandal, I believe. Now, the latest development is that the investigation that was made by a third-party external investigator, the, all the material, all the records from that investigation has disappeared. <laughs> What? No. The, <laughs> the investigator himself is, is a man called Sten Heckscher. He doesn't know where it is. Karolinska doesn't know where it is. Uh, and this is now revealed in a new book written by Harriet Wallberg, who was... I don't know how to translate this. He, she was the, sh the chief for all of Karolinska when this happened, and she had to resign. And now she's written a book about this, and in her book... It, it's revealed that the investigation has disappeared. Wow. And this is this should be public records, really. And even the, the Swedish radio interviewed uh, Stan Heckscher, the investigator, and he says, and I quote, No, I don't have any of that. I don't know anything about it. Uh -huh. To clarify, there are no doc public records. So, what? He, <laughs> this guy, he did... 28 interviews with people central to the, the Macarini business or the scandal. And he went through uh, documents, uh, emails and, and things. And uh, it's all gone. Nobody knows where it this is. It's ridiculous. Nobody's taking any responsibility for it either. And although there will, I don't think there will be any criminal charges against Macarini, there are a civil suits uh, on its way from families of the the victims mm -hmm. who two, I think there are two families that, that have uh, are going to court against Macarini about this like against against Macarini personally or against the institution I think it's against Macarini okay I, I'm I'm not quite sure but that's my impression mm -hmm. and of course this uh, these records would be very uh, valuable to those uh, lawsuits but. Uh, Apparently they're gone. How likely do you think this is to be an attempted cover-up? Uh, your guess is as good as mine. I I, I okay. don't know. There is speculations in in uh, in the in the papers about this, uh, and uh, you know if it is public records that have been deleted because you don't want to hand them out to the public, then it's criminal. Yeah. And it's but uh, we don't know. They they just say it's gone. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, very, very strange. So I think once again, <laughs> Karolinska will get uh, today's surprise for being really wrong. And I think also together with this Stan Heckscher guy who did the investigation, because I, I, I he should have kept something, I believe. Yeah. Hmm? No, it's just, it's just absolute terrible. Uh, it looks like an absolute mishandling of both the situation and an investigation and the records and everything. I'm, I'm so surprised that it never ends. Yeah. yeah. All right. So I will not congratulate Karolinska Institute. It's just... Uh, <laughs> no, that's it's not... getting ridiculous now. I think as we normally say when, or we, as we always say when we talk about Macchiarini and the scandal, 
I think we will continue to keep an eye on this because it's not over yet. Yeah. Thank you very much, Pontus. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're going to end the show very soon, but we're going to run some ads. in or near Glasgow or are you planning to visit sometime then you're in luck because Glasgow Skeptics have got your Monday nights sorted we're committed to filling up every available Monday night with talks on science and scepticism past speakers include Eugenie Scott Jerry Coyne Michael Marshall Nate Phelps Tom and Cecil from Cognitive Dissonance PZ Myers Richard Wiseman AC Grayling Noah Heath and Eli from The Scathing Atheist Simon Singh, Rebecca Watson and a multitude of local academics and sceptics. There's literally nothing better you can do on a Monday night in Glasgow that doesn't involve taking your clothes off. So come join us. We've also got a vibrant online community. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter and get involved with the discussion. Glasgow Sceptics. Self-help for your brain. Richard Saunders here from the Skeptic Zone podcast, a podcast for science and reason from Australia. Every week since 2008, the Skeptic Zone has brought you reports, interviews, and investigations from all around the world. We have many listeners all through Europe. That's the Skeptic Zone podcast at www.skepticzone.tv. Now, there is nothing else left before we conclude the show, but to listen to a nice quote from someone from Europe. So, Jelena, have you got something for us? Yes, 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 I do. I do. From <gasps> Antoine Laurent Lavoisier, French chemist. He said, We must trust to nothing but facts. These are presented to us by nature and cannot deceive. We ought, in every instance, to submit our reasoning to the test of experiment and never to search for truth but by the natural road of experiment and observation. Amen to that. Parfait. Yay. Parfait. 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 <laughs> no, but it's, it's really good. I mean, it's so many people get this wrong. They, they decide that they want to know how acupuncture works or how this is this and how God works. And they fail to put the real question. Yeah. Don't assume anything. Just look at the data and then... See where it takes you. And I think Lavoisier did know what he was talking about. Sounds like it. So he knew a thing or two. Yeah, but he's he's there is a reason why he's considered the father of modern chemistry. Ah, you see, uh, or at least one of those. So definitely, he was the one who came up with uh, the role or explained the role of oxygen in uh, combustion, for example. Mm. Pretty good to know about, yeah. Yeah, before that, that was a phlogiston uh, theory and that kind of stuff. But I think we have already talked about this in this show. I, I think so. Yeah, but uh, he recognized both uh, oxygen and hydrogen, so the basic, mm. the most basic element. And you can make water. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he was quite a guy. Yeah, quite a yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
All right. And uh, on that very, very nice note, I think we have to finish the episode. So, Yalana and Pontus, I'd like to thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. It always is. And uh, indeed, thanks to our listeners for tuning in. Please keep doing so. And until next week, goodbye. Bye-bye. Paka-paka. This has been your ESP experience. The show is produced and recorded by the ESP.eu. Join us again next time, but until then, please send your feedback, comments or death threats to info at the ESP.eu. We would also love to hear your ideas and suggestions regarding future episodes, as well as news from your country of residence that might interest others across the continent. If you have a local event or organization to promote, please don't hesitate to let us know, as we are more than happy to help. All music in the program was written and performed by Keisha J. Gray and George Schraub and is used with their permission. Please check out our webpage at www.theesp.eu, follow us on Twitter at espodcast underscore eu and like us on Facebook. I don't know how you can believe Francis replied by uh, quoting Paul II. No. <laughs> Paul VI. <laughs> Just make up the number, it doesn't matter. <laughs> Paul the 134th. Somebody. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> so, so far, there have only been six popes named Paul. <laughs> okay. Francis replied by quoting Paul the sixth. Sixth. I, I, I can't do this. Francis. The one, the one after Paul the fifth. Yeah. <laughs> Skeptics are very good. Okay, so... Uh, yes. <gasps>